live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by conservative activist Stephanie Hitt, progressive author David Masiotro, Nigel Rabb from Loyola Marymount University, an expert on Russian history, and in our second hour, we'll be joined by Bill Schneider, veteran political analyst, and we'll be talking about presidential uh, politics. I Bruce Dumont, our program this evening, coming to you from our home base at the studios of DM560 WYND in beautiful Elk Grove Village, Illinois. That's a suburb of Chicago. And our phone lines open at 1 800 782 1 800. What do I say? It's been, I've been off for 15 weeks. 1 800 723 8200. 8289. 1-800-723-8289. At least I was almost ready to give my personal phone number, which probably would not be a good idea, especially if I was taking calls during the replay of this broadcast. Anyway, uh, we've got the phone number down, and uh, uh, hopefully you do. I, I may not have it down. But we are going to be talking about uh, two things this evening. In the second hour, we're going to be talking about uh, national politics and some recent polls that are out. We'll be looking at both Democrat and Republican options uh, for the presidential election next year. Uh, but in the first hour, uh, we're going to be talking about the, the one-year anniversary of uh, the invasion of uh, Ukraine by the Russians and also the role that uh, the United States and allies are playing uh, in that war that now is uh, a year old. Joining us in studio is Stephanie Hitt. She's the Republican. Joining us on uh, line or on the magic of video uh, is David Masayotra, and he joins us from the great state of Indiana. And joining us uh, from his home in California is Nigel Rabb. He is a professor of Russian history at Loyola Marymount University has been a guest on this program many times over the last several years, and we begin by asking him this evening, uh, Nigel, as you look back a year, I don't remember exactly what you said a year ago because you were on this program, but uh, what what's the, what was the first sign that the ease with which the West thought Russia would win this war, what was the earliest sign that maybe that was a miscalculation? Well, I think the, for me, the earliest sign would be when you got those dramatic, the just dramatic photographs, and that was in the around the early spring last year, of the convoy of Russian, that was like thirty kilometers long, of Russian military vehicles that just stalled. I mean, essentially, they didn't move anymore because they disorganization or just bad planning by their military staff. So that was one of the very, very first signs, and the speed with which the Call it an invasion or call it an attack on Kiev failed was also was a very early, very early sign as well. So those signs came early. Do you think as you look into your crystal ball now, will will a year from now, will we still be talking about the second anniversary of this war? Or do you see some sort of a resolution in the next year? That's a difficult crystal ball to look at. But I, I mean, the way things are going now, I mean, I don't think anybody would predict that it was going to last a year, a year ago, but they're at a stalemate, but they've also created this environment on the border areas between Russia and Ukraine that 
there is no there's no immediate resolution that I can see to the problem. And they're just grinding it out. And Russia's not going to basically have spent all this amount of money, energy, and and you know lost lives just to say, okay, we're done, we're going home. I don't think Putin could tolerate that politically. So I, I, I would say. I would say we'll be in a similar situation. Stephanie Hitt, where were you a year ago and where are you now? And uh, are you one of those Republicans that's getting a little nervous that so much, uh, so many billions of dollars have been sent over uh, to President Zelensky? Well, a year ago, I had actually just put my house in Illinois up for sale and I was getting ready to move to the state of Virginia. And so, um, but... As a uh, mother of an armed forces, I can't be too detailed, an armed forces member who has an expertise in Russian, Russian language, Russian um, intelligence, also who has spent time in Eastern Europe already on one deployment, um, I have an incredible amount of personal interest in what's going on there as I watch my child get ready for another deployment. Should we be pouring more money in there? Um. We are at the point now where it's too hard to go back and to pull out. I I, I do believe that. I'm one of those Republicans that we can bicker and argue about how we got here and what led us into this and what what inspired Russia to invade in the first point. But that's that's old news now. We are deep in this and we're going to have to manage our way out of it. I have no problems asking for accounting and making sure our money is well spent But I also believe that we are in this, the West is in this, and now with China China lurking around the edges of all of this, um, we're not backing out. David Masiotra, uh, progressives usually are against wars. Where were you a year ago, and uh, where are you now, and how much support should we as a country continue to pour into Ukraine? I'm saying uh, it's very interesting. Uh, President Jimmy Carter is on his deathbed as rather famously wanted to place human rights at the center of foreign policy. His successor, Ronald Reagan, shifted the focus and and got into... What does that have to do with today? I I asked you specifically today. What do you think about today? We could get into history a little bit later on. I'm getting there, uh, and and Reagan Please wanted do. to prevent authoritarian regimes. So whether you're in line of Carter's thinking, it is necessary and just for the United States to do what it back the imperialistic advance of Vladimir Putin, uh, who is committing an act of genocide, and uh, Ukraine represents of self-determination and democracy. Do we stop and them or not? You've given us a I'm long answer, to... David, but what? go to the gut and give me your answer. Do we, do we put more money in there or not? I mean, yes, you seem I to be giving us all should... this history, but not the answer to the question. Well, I mean, it's a complicated matter, but I think that the U.S. should continue. Do what it's doing. I think the Biden administration has navigated the situation well in uh, diplomatic aid and financial aid without committing armed forces as opposed to that uh, in order to support the Ukrainian democracy and freedom against a brazenly imperialist. Okay. 
let me go back to let me go back to Nigel. My question to you is: with the investment of uh, over 120 billion dollars uh, to Ukraine thus far, which has brought us to this point, um, what is your sense of the American mood, the, the mood even in academia, as to how much more we have to spend? That's the question. We do have to pause uh, for a break, but I do want to give you a couple of minutes to think about that. And how much is too much? And uh, should this really be a blank check? which many Americans feel it has been thus far uh, a year into the war. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8029, back shortly from Chicago. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening. And they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why as a young person they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man. You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 
Bruce Dumont back, and uh, question to uh, Nigel Rabb. We talked about the money that has been invested and uh, how much more is likely to be needed. Uh, I want to put a finer point on that uh, question, Nigel. Uh, last or in interviews with ABC this week, uh, the president said, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to be there till the end. Uh, we're not going to allow a, Repu- a Russian victory. And uh, yet, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, he's asked for F-16s. And the president's response is, we're going to send him what the U.S. military thinks he needs, not what he really needs. Now, how do you read that, uh, those two statements by the two presidents? Well, I think the Biden's response, he has to be very, very careful with what type of weapons he gives to Ukraine, because I, I think planes, for example, is a completely different deal than sending our, uh, artillery to their to their field. So one has to be cautious with the planes. And I think because earlier we were talking about how much how much is too much. It's not just a financial question. I know planes are more expensive in every mm-hmm. way than artillery, but it's it's what type of weaponry are you giving and what would trigger Russia the other one about this, though, is, you know, when you think of what would trigger Russia or what a Russian victory is, that is really ill-defined. I mean, I, I don't know what Russia would think of as a victory at this point. They've lost so much. And the performance of the army, the Russian army, has been so, so poor. It's like, what is Russia's threat beyond what they do, which they didn't do in the, in the Soviet era, is continually use nuclear weapons, not as if we have nuclear weapons, but... Today, it's like, no, and we're going to use the nuclear weapons. That seems to be their threat. It's not a military, it's not a military performance. Does he, this is the question to you, David, does he need uh, China to weigh in uh, with, with the lethal weapons here uh, to save uh, Putin? Or can he do it without Russia, uh, China's involvement? No, it certainly looks like he needs some assistance uh, from, from China or some other powerful ally uh, but one of the great hopeful stories of 2022 is the weakness of authoritarian regimes. Uh, both Russia and China look very weak right now for very different reasons. Weak to whom? Can I, can I say something well, about Sure, China? sure, go ahead. Let, yeah. Let's let Nigel weigh in on that, and then Stephanie's got a comment as well. Go ahead, Nigel. So when, when we when talk about Chinese involvement, it's really important to note that China's population is 10 times Russia's population. That's the same ratio as the United States to Canada. The economy is the same ratio as well. Like China is a very big player here, much, much bigger than Russia. And so what's happening in this, if, if Russia accepts Chinese help, unlike accepting help from North Korea, Russia is becoming dependent on China. That's what's happening. And that is a very dangerous position for Russia. And so Russia, I mean, we don't want that, of course, from our perspective, but it does weaken Russia. What does this say about the relationship between the United States and Taiwan and what China's ultimate goal might be there? Are they what lessons are they learning about the United States and about the West because of the way we've handled this situation, Nigel? That's that's a difficult question to answer because the West, like when you're looking what's driving this, it's a lot of NATO countries like Poland, the Baltic states who have a direct influence on politics in that area, Right. they have no say in Taiwan. They have no say in Taiwan whatsoever. There's no NATO really. 
in Taiwan or anything like that of, of equivalent. So it's, it's a very different situation in terms of the alliances that come involved. And, and Taiwan is more the United States as a superpower doing global politics. Versus but if, but if China, if China weighs in and helps Russia now, three to five years from now or whenever, China decides that it wants to invade Taiwan, is Russia obligated to weigh in and help them in some way? And do they need their help? Well, here's the, here's the thing. China is running a huge risk right now by offering its aid to Russia, and we're seeing it now, and that is China now realizes maybe didn't, wasn't aware how much the West is willing to ally itself I mean, we, we are seeing the West building its alliance mm -hmm. um, either through NATO, but look, I mean, even Germany has stepped up and all of these countries. I think there was an original underestimation of how much the West would ally together. And China has to be very wary of going up against a Western alliance, which are, you know, in trading partners and so on. And remember, that alliance will also include parts of Asia. So what that says to China is, wait a minute, if I help Russia, I'm going to know that most of the world is going to be allied against me. And that may deter them but from we, China, uh, but, from Taiwan. But do we know, and, and I'll ask you this question, Nigel, does anyone know whether or not this uh, growing resistance that we have in the United States about continuing to support uh, Ukraine, uh, primarily uh, from uh, isolationists within the Republican Party. To what extent does that attitude translate to Germany and England and France and the other allied nations? I mean, are there populations there that are asking uh, the same questions that we're asking here? How much is too much and how long do we really want to prop this thing up? Nigel? Each country is a little bit different. I was just going to say, in terms of Western alliance, it would be weaker with Taiwan. You would not get the same, you would not get the right. same strong alliance with Ukraine as you would Taiwan. Just that, that wouldn't that wouldn't happen. But the, I mean, England has been very, very supportive of Ukraine. Very supportive. Poland. I mean, consider Poland is a traditional sort of hostile to Ukraine going right. back centuries. Obviously, they're like fully behind this because they see Russia. They see Russia as a big threat. Germany is thinking of this in terms of its Nazi past. I mean, how much, you know, they've got this pacifist sort of stance that is changing and, and that has changed. And I think they're turning that corner and will step up. But that that is changing fast. And so there has been each country is different. I mean, what, what about you, Italy? I mean, do you know, do you know what about a, do you know what about public support in uh, in, in in France and Italy and uh Australia and other was, other places. That one's more difficult, but Germany has very strong public support for Ukraine. Yeah, very very strong. Okay, very very strong. Surprising. And and in part, and and in part because of it's not just what happened now in 2022. There's the Crimean Peninsula in 2014, which right. really sort of revived this idea of Russia as being aggressive and taking land, and so that's. And that's been that's been going on. What is it? Eight, almost nine years now. Mm -hmm. David, you had a comment. Yeah, Stephanie makes a great point that Putin thought that this move would fracture NATO, 
and fracture the EU when in effect it had the opposite. Uh, it, it united the EU, it united NATO. And to your first question, one of the reasons why it's important that the United States support Ukraine is to set the precedent against a potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan, against other potential aggressors who might be watching this closely to see how the West uh, attempts to resist war crimes and invasion. Had they just let Putin march in, that would have given a green light to other countries with similar designs. The uh, warning that Vice President Harris made recently about the, uh, the the crimes against humanity uh, that Russia is involved in. Um, do those words coming from the second most powerful person in the United States, uh, does that send a signal to China? Are they worried about uh, words like that, or do they just let them fall off their backs like ducks? Stephanie? I, I think they let it... Uh, you know, we've been uh, those words have been said about their own treatment of the Uyghurs. Right. So we, we, we China doesn't care. China, China, I think we can probably agree, looks at its population as commodities, as, you know, uh, what instruments about more, to building up its its own empire. What about and, more sanctions? I mean, it was announced well, today that the, the Biden administration is going to impose more sanctions against Russia. Well, what are those sanctions that we're imposing a year into this? Right. Into this well, war? you know, Nigel, the, do you know what those? Yeah. I mean, does does it mean well, that the first sanctions didn't work at all, or I mean, they didn't they didn't bring Russia to their to their feet? The economy didn't no, actually, totally Russia, crumble. No, Russia's minister of finance is actually doing a really good job, and, and has been doing that for a while, but. The sanctions, the Russian economy is sort of slipping back to what it was in the Soviet era. And if you listen to the Russians, it's sort of like, why do we need American cars when we can build our own cars? And I'm, I don't know if anybody's driven a Lada, but, you know, it's a Russian-style car. And it's, not yeah. the, it's not the top-of-the-line car. Yeah. Russia will survive this. The economy will survive because Russians can adapt to a lower level of the economy without, you know, it's just you have less and you get used to having less. And they're like, yeah seen that done that that was the soviet union so the sanctions do hurt the russian economy but do they hurt the russian economy to the extent that a russian says no now i'm protesting are there well, other yeah. are there road. other are there other sanctions however if you're thinking of more sanctions against russia are there sanctions against russia that should have been imposed a year ago and and and, and are they not propping up uh russia at this moment economically what more can what more can we can we do to them? Well, I mean, sanctions are only you know the West doesn't control the entire global economy, right? As even as Putin seems to suggest in his yeah. speeches, so you know, you, China is a big economy, and China, you know, yeah. in in Inner Mongolia sends goods to Russia, and Russian goods go back, and, and so is India, India, and there's India, Africa. So there's all sorts of stuff out there, but they do. They do play a role in reducing the economy. If not, they don't cripple it, but they do actually make it worse. I've got to pause. 1 800 723 8289. 1 800 723 8289. Give us a call. More money for the Ukraine or not? Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. 
Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect, so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back uh, beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us. If you are uh, listening to this program for the first time in a long time, uh, I want to thank uh, Jeannie Ives and Eric Cohn for sitting in for me for 15 uh, weeks when I was uh, laid up in the hospital. Not not for the full 15 weeks, but getting over some uh, having a health hiatus. And I thanked them last week. I thank them this week. Uh, my second week back in the chair. And uh, other than forgetting the phone number. Uh, 
a, a, a challenge because I didn't write it down. Uh, it's good to be back. Stephanie Hitt, it's good to see you face-to-face across the aisle from me yes, uh, here in beautiful Elk Grove Village. Uh, yeah. Tell it, We're going to take uh, a few minutes and let everybody uh, introduce themselves to the audience. Give us 20 seconds on, on your political background. Well, Bruce, it's exciting to be back in the studio with you. We've been doing this for many years. Yes. And yeah. a lot of different locations, and it's nice to have you back. So Good. Um, congrats on being back. And, uh, yeah, um, we first met, I think, when I was a delegate back in the early 2000s to the John some, of, some of the earlier uh, Republican conventions. And I was uh, an a- active member of the uh, local GOP there. And from there, I, you know, catapulted into writing and commentating and doing local things and then uh, worked. Uh, I just spent the last year uh, managing a campaign for the U.S. Senate here in Illinois Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's called taking a food critic and making them run the kitchen. <laughs> Not an easy transition, but I will say it's been exciting. And now I I have left Illinois partially, at least, uh-huh. and now am based out of uh, Northern Virginia. Very good. David Massiotra, you've been on this program for at least the last eight years that I can recall. Give us a little more background about yourself. Yeah, let me first say welcome back. I'm sure I speak for many when I say I missed your voice, your perspective. It's great to see you back in the hosting spot. Um, I'm an author, um, most recently of books, I Am Somebody, Why Jesse Jackson Matters, and Mellencamp, American Troubadour. Uh, I've written for many publications, among them uh, The New Republic, The Progressive, The Washington Monthly. And if you're curious about my work, go to davidmassiotra.com. What is the one issue on the progressive conservative scale that that triggers you the most, that you're most exercised about? That triggers me the most. That's interesting. Well, I guess I would have to go back to health care. I think that our health care policy is an abomination. It costs uh, thousands of people their lives every year. It's number one cause of medical or excuse me, of bankruptcy in the country. That is medical debt. And Harry Truman was the first president to call for a national health care program. And all these decades later, we still don't have it. So mm-hmm. I would I would go back to that one. OK. And uh, Nigel Reb, tell us a little bit about your uh, background, what you study and where you're from. So I'm originally from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, which is a cold, snowy city. But now I'm in Los Angeles, California, which is a cold, snowy city. You can look out <laughs> in the mountains. You see, you see snow. It's, it's extraordinary here. I'm a professor of Russian history at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. And I've written books on, for example, Russian civil society in the 19th century, which looks at volunteer life. Because in the United States, volunteering is seen as like the bedrock of democracy, so I wrote this work, which com- looked at the Russian case. And, you know, you see authoritarianism there. And I try as much as possible to go to Russia. The last trip I made to Russia was January 2020, you know, three or four weeks before, before the COVID shutdown. And I went to Yakutsk in Siberia, which is middle Siberia. The week before I got there, it was minus 55. When I got there, it was a balmy minus 38. And I met with uh, professors at the university there. And so that was that was very interesting. And... I'm hoping to go back sometime, but I don't know when that'll be. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you talk about volunteerism. We have all been reading that Russia is having a hard time uh, finding people to volunteer for 
the military, and they're thinking of even constricting, uh, you know, even Americans that may be living in Russia. What can you tell us that you you may have gleaned about uh, the popular support that uh, this war has amongst the the masses in Russia? It, believe it or not, has enough popular support. And you can, you can be, in part because they're getting information, which is purely state controlled. Their TV shows are all about, the way they frame it is, this is a titanic struggle against the West. The West is trying to ruin Russian civilization. And Putin gave an interview, I think it was yesterday or the mm-hmm. day before yesterday, yes. about this. So that's the way they portray it. And, and that's the news that you get in Russia websites have been shut down any alternative sources have been shut down and russia used to be free like the website used to be really really open uh-huh. but now that's been shut down so there is and you know russia has a much stronger military tradition in the sense of if you go to cities in russia you'll see a lot more people in uniform that you will in the united states so it has that military tradition going way back and that gets people to people to to volunteer Obviously, about 180,000 people have left the country, but that's an educated elite. That's not, I wouldn't call, that's a, that's not a broad demographic in the country. So and they do, get, they do get volunteers. Historically, uh, there has been a great deal of organized crime in Russia. Uh, how widespread is that and corruption within uh, you know, the, the various parts of the country, well, uh, not exclusively the Kremlin, but, but other parts of leadership in the country? Well, one of the if you if you talk to the Putin and, and his advisors, they will tell you the 1990s that was organized crime. That was when a, a, you would walk through a market and there'd be a shootout. I was in a hotel in Novosibirsk in Siberia in 1993, and there was a shootout in the hotel. And they would say we wiped that all out. Now, what you have is basically an ordered, stable society, and the corruption is basically this is back to the Soviet Union. It's within the bureaucracy. It's the government officials who are at the highest levels. I mean, they're, they're taking off millions of dollars, but there's a little bit of corruption everywhere. Mm-hmm. But crime, like violent criminal activity, would be down. And that's just the, that's what authoritarian states are like. How? They're not, it doesn't go away entirely. When, when you look, again, I asked you to look into the crystal ball in the last uh, segment or two, but uh, I want to kind of, you know, look, look to the future right now. Uh, given where Russia is at the moment, with your point that, uh, that Putin himself is probably still popular amongst the masses in in Russia uh, because a year ago we were at least articulating that there might be those in the military who might want to f- mm-hmm. create some sort of a coup and push uh, you know Putin aside mm-hmm. in some way or have him disappear uh, have, have those rumors and those innuendos ha- have they all faded from the scene is he? Is he within the Politburo? Is he stronger today than he was a year ago? Uh, I, I would say it's the same. I would say it's the same. I mean, I think what's happened, and you've seen that over the last few years, he's more worried about something happening because there's a long history of Russian, of Russian sort of assassinations of the Tsar, mm-hmm. assassination attempt on Lenin, that type of thing. So he's he's worried about that, but I don't think that the the the, the danger is higher. And then if I could say something else to what Bruce, what you just said, you mentioned the Politburo. Mm-hmm. And I think this is an interesting point because there is no Politburo today. So if you're comparing, or if you thought the Soviet Union, to, to any listener out there, if you thought the Soviet Union was sort of this dictatorship, 
at least the Soviet Union had a Politburo. At least Brezhnev had to answer to the Politburo. There's nothing like that now. So his Putin has a tighter grip on power than you would expect from Brezhnev in the 1970s. And within and the military, and stronger within the military. And, and stronger within the military. I mean, the, the, the issue with the military is the Wagner Group or the Wagner Group, which is this mercenary force, private mercenary force that is actually fighting some of the most intense battles on the front in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And they, that, the, the leader has been vocally aggressive against, not Putin, but against the Minister of Defense and against other generals in the Army. So we have a, we have there a is call- tension, absolutely. We have a caller to bring into our conversation. Ramondo, who's listening to us in Carmel, California, has a question or comment to make. Ramondo, go ahead. Yes, El Paso, Texas. The question is, uh, it's not about money to Ukraine. It's about the armory that we're sending over there with taxpayer money. People built that equipment over here in the United States. Now, is that, a, uh, is that going to be a freebie, or is it going to be an IOU? I, I don't think there's any freebies involved here. Are there, uh, uh, Nigel, do you know? I, I haven't heard anything about this stuff is being given to them. Uh, how much of it is being given? I thought most of it was being, much of it was being sold. Does I anybody, a lot of it a lot of it has been given yeah and I think one of the yeah. other one of the concerns it's, was are we giving too much away uh-huh. and 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 what are our own needs in the future whether it's in Taiwan or someplace else uh, will 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 we maybe sh- selling ourselves short David are you concerned with that that maybe we're too generous in giving this uh, these armaments uh, and military hardware away? Not currently. Uh, certainly, that's something that that might cause concern in the future. But uh, since 9-11, you know, I've watched our country get involved in various wars that were, uh, best case scenario, dubious. And I think here's a cause uh, around which we can gather with pride. So uh, I approve of su- supporting U- the Ukrainian effort and supplying uh, robust aid. But, the, you know, there's a good... There's a good question there, and that is, um, if this is given away, what is expected in return? So let's let's you know, and we can talk about this later. Of you know, what 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 do we project for the mm-hmm. future? But say, Russian backs up, we we come up with a peace agreement or whatever. Now what? What do we get from Ukraine? What have we just? You've all, I... uh, uh... Nigel's got a response to that question. Uh, Other people may as well. 1-800-723-8289. We've got a commercial break coming up, and then we will continue coast-to-coast and border-to-border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. 
At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. If you talk to me, we'll hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. So talk, they hear you. You can do it if you try. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We continue on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, Stephanie... Summarize your question again uh, so uh, Nigel yeah. can respond. So the, the question came is, you know, what um, are, are, are these freebies we're giving them? What are we expecting from Ukraine? Obviously, they're not going to write us a check right now. Um, so what are we going to get when if, if we if we do reach peace? What are we what kind of Ukraine are we getting? What is Ukraine offering to be? Um, and that's, I you know, let's. Uh, few months ago, uh, Zelensky made a very open Im- invitation to Goldman Sachs, the banks, come here, invest in Ukraine, companies, come. So he's offering, in a way, to become a capitalist beacon, experiment, island, whatever. Um, and is that what he's offering in exchange for helping him win? And here's the other thing. Does that come with a real democracy? Are we? Do we really expect that from Zelensky? Well, I mean, what- Nigel. Nigel wanted to respond to that. Nigel, yeah. go ahead. So, two things. Well, the first thing is sort of what does the United States? What will the United States get out of this? But the United States has already gotten something out of this. I mean, you you were already seeing. So, for example, what has the United States gotten out of it? 
it's gone, it's, it's been able to see that the Russian army, which calls itself the second greatest army in the world, has serious problems. And that mm-hmm. has been exposed. This is very right. important information to the United States. And then the other one is the, every single day, the Russian army, that army which started bad, is getting weaker. And so at a geopolitical level, and, and Zelensky will say this, at a geopolitical level, a major competitor to the United States is weakening on a daily, on a daily basis. It's weakening, weakening, weakening. And that's, that's what's happening because Ukrainians are actually fighting back. They're the ones in the trenches. They're the ones fighting. And they have the weapons to do this from the United States. And so it, it really weakens Russia. And that's a huge gain for the United States. The, the second thing I want to say about, yes, Zelensky can say, you know, welcome the capitalist countries. I wouldn't count on that. I mean, in the sense that I wouldn't count on an American company going there and expecting too much because it sounds like shock therapy from the early 1990s again. At Ukraine is going to have, there's going to have to be a rebuilding program for the whole country. That's what's going to happen afterwards, but who knows? Nigel, one of the leading, one of the leading critics in the country about this support is uh, a Tucker Carlson from Fox news. I don't know whether you listen or watch Tucker Carlson at all, but I'm sure you've read some things that he has had to say. And he basically says that he doesn't think that Zelensky really is looking for democracy. And uh, he's closed up a lot of things that we in the United States uh, think would be a good idea. Uh, but he somehow is the is the darling of the West, the, 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 the Churchill of the West. Uh, he certainly has got the word, you know, the, the world, you know, has got their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you put any credence at all into the criticism of Zelensky personally? I, well, I mean, one of the things about Zelensky, he is a former TV star who right. knows how to act. And he's very effective at that. And he, in fact, in his show, I think, I don't know if everybody knows this at this point, but he was a president. Right. And a president who came into his role by accident. Right. Which is exactly what happened to him. So he knows how to play that. I mean, in terms of Ukraine becoming a democracy, that's a long way off. I think we should support the idea. I don't think the crit- like Carlson's criticism on that one is not so off, but we should support the idea. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't exaggerate it. It's very, very difficult. At the same time, at the same time, a Ukrainian democracy or no democracy, a Ukrainian victory over Russia will help the United States. There's no doubt about it. And it will help our allies in Europe. No doubt about it. So we Dave, should support that, David, regardless Dave, of the political future. Your, your reaction to uh, the political commodity of, of uh, President Zelensky and how he has marketed himself over the over the past year to be, uh, uh, you know, one of the most admired political leaders in the world. Do you what sort of grade do you give him, and do you do you take him at at his alleged greatness, or are you a little suspicious? Well. I'm always reluctant to get involved in hero worship uh, just because of the complexity of geopolitical affairs. But I do think that he's uh, fighting for the independence of his country uh, against a serious war crime, against crimes of humanity, as Vice President Harris put it. And uh, therefore, he's worthy of support. And in observing the contrast between the mendacity and cruelty of Putin and and the courage and the leadership of Zelensky, people get a little overexcited. Uh, I can certainly understand that emotional response, uh, but on the ground, at, at so far at this point, he's proven himself a pretty exemplary leader, showing grace under pressure, grace under fire, and uh, he's, he's worthy of the support. 
But the packaging, uh, the tight T-shirt, Stephanie, I want to go into some of the cosmetic things that yeah. uh, that apparently are very appealing uh, to the, the media of the West and the people well, of the world. Well, it works. I mean, it shows that he's a man who's just working to save his country. Yeah. He's not putting on a and suit. He's, working he's not out. looking he's pretty. Working out. He's looking good he's in a looking, T-shirt. You know, I think, you know, early on at the beginning, you said, you know, what did we imagine? You know, what did we think was going to happen a year ago? Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, we worried about was, one, how quickly they were going to take Kiev even, you know? And how many times did we think that he was going to be killed? And oh, here yeah. he is. Well, and now he's a, a globetrotter now. Um, he... Well, you know, he has defied a lot of expectations quick, and odds. A quick question, uh, Nigel, to you. How important was Biden's 10-hour trip to go visit him insofar as the legacy of Joe Biden is concerned? Oh, I thought it was really important as a show of strength. I, I mean, I think part of that trip was just getting it organized. But it, right. it was very, very significant to have an American president in an essentially a war zone. I mean, that is hugely significant. And all and some people are critical, risky too. It's, you know, it is the American president. You don't want something to happen to him because if something had happened to him, it would have been worse. But I thought it was very significant and, and well-organized. And letting, letting Russia know in advance, did that surprise you? Alerting yeah, them? I guess it shows you... It shows you that there are channels open. So if you think of how bad relations are between the U.S. and Russia, at least there's that little bit okay. still holding on that we, they can't we, talk. Yeah. We got to go. Thanks, everybody, to hour number okay. one. Nigel, thanks, thanks very much. We'll be back for another full hour Thank in a you. moment. Don't go away. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. 
That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana and vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago in Elk Grove Village. Nice to have you with us this evening on Beyond the Beltway. And in studio with me, Stephanie Hitt continues. She is the conservative Republican. Our liberal progressive is David Messiotra. And joining us from uh, Washington, D.C., is an old friend of this program and one of America's most astute political observers, and that's Bill Schneider. Uh, he does occasional writing for The Hill, but again, he's he's taught, and uh, he's been around for a long time, including uh, uh, almost 20 years with <laughs> CNN. So, uh, Again, uh, we're going to be talking about presidential politics, Republican and Democrat, uh, this evening. And uh, I, I want to begin with 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 a, a basic question, Bill, because you have covered so many races for the White House. My my question to you would be: um, Being this far out, are there are there some common denominators that you have noticed over the years that? You know, whether someone who's the first one in is usually the first one out, or uh, if you're in, uh, you don't get the early money. I mean, some observations about uh, being this far out from the from Americans uh, voting, and are there unique things that uh, whoever ends up victorious uh, uh, tend to replicate? Well, usually whoever is the front runner going into the election ends up winning the election. Um, right now, it's not so clear. It's all of the trial heats show a close race between Biden, who is almost certain to be the Democratic nominee, mm-hmm. if his health holds up, and uh, even Trump. He beats Trump, but only by a couple of points. Uh, and DeSantis, I think, is leading Biden right now. So the, the frontrunners usually end up winning. But I wouldn't say that there's a clear frontrunner now. Biden is probably the frontrunner because uh, he's the president. And he's a few points ahead of the, his competitors in the Republican mm-hmm. side. No Democrat is likely to challenge Biden. Uh, that no one has emerged. No one is talking about it. Uh, and I think that's very unlikely. Other than Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson has said she's going to try it again. She was quite the. Uh, uh, she stole a couple of those early debates with her comments about spirituality. But anyway, she's the only one out there. My my question, uh, and again, just get reaction uh, from you, David. Uh, 
you're a progressive Democrat. I mean, I don't, I don't know whether I can't remember exactly where you were four years ago in the race for Joe, uh, the presidency, the nomination. Uh, my recollection is probably Joe Biden wasn't your first choice. But as a progressive, um, how has Joe Biden done? And as a progressive, would you like to see him run again, given the fact that he's had some success at the polls and any other Democrat that uh, you pick out of the hat uh, does not, at least at the presidential level? Yeah, uh, I did prefer Biden over Bernie. Uh, And I think that Biden as president has done quite well. He's exceeded my expectations uh, under tremendous restraints, given the situation with the Congress. Uh, He's managed to get some great bipartisan bills. Uh, He's championed them and the Congress has passed them and he signed them. Uh, Last hour, we discussed Ukraine. I think his management of that international conflict has been quite astute, quite excellent. And his leadership style shows probity and calm and discipline. Uh, Now, the question is, should he run again? That's a tough one because uh, at this point, his age does not appear to slow him down and he's doing well as president. However, uh, his age is certainly a factor. And uh, I hate to waffle and give you a political uh, answer, but I'm, I'm just not quite sure if I have the utmost confidence in his ability to run a full-time campaign uh, in the next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all indication of his leadership style and ability is good as president. Uh, Stephanie, your, your assessment of Joe Biden, I mean, do you go beyond uh, age criticism of, of him? Oh, or is yeah. that your big concern? I mean, I guess, David, you know, I have to say uh, pretty much everything you said about Joe Biden, I would take the opposite position of. Um, I I have found him not to be calm, but actually just an incredibly lost front man. Um, For whom? For, we don't know for whom, but he doesn't seem to be the, the, you you know, the engineer of his own policies. And, you know, I think part of it, too, is that, um, you know, he, he has disappointed I think a lot of independents as well as Republicans, because he has veered very far away from his promises of unity, bipartisanship, and so on. And so, if anything, um, he has really uh, evolved as a, a, a true divider of this country. And um, we, we're that, seeing divisions you, in a did, way that we, did we haven't you seen. See that America. again, objectively. Now we know you're a Republican. Yeah. Objectively, did you feel that way when you watched the State of the Union, if indeed you watched the State of the mm-hmm. Union? How did you feel when you were did you watch the well, speech? Well, let's let's there's been two State of the Unions. Did you the watch the speech? The first one was incredibly divisive. The second one, second. he took it slightly different tact. He was less divisive. Um, he, uh, I think he has learned a little bit of his lessons. I think he's realized, especially now that there is a split By the Congress. way, when someone, when someone is divisive, does that just mean that they have a different political opinion? No, than it's you? when you, it's when you demonize the other side and that you th- is divisive. You think he, he demonized the other side yes. in, in the most recent state of the union? Um, not as detailed in that state of the mm-hmm. union, but. He continues to do that. I mean, you know, just recently he gave a speech 
where he basically oh. told the country that there, there are people that believe that people should be lynched in this country. I don't know where that comes from. That's w- ridiculous. But w- he says things like that. I want to I go to uh, Bill Schneider. Bill, again, you've covered lots of presidential races. <laughs> is, is Joe Biden throwing out the red meat either for his base or is he throwing out enough red meat to, to jack up the, the other side? How is he, uh, how is he at, at uh, churning the, the red meat for the public? I don't really understand how you can call Joe Biden a deliberately divisive president. The champion divisive president for all time is Donald Trump. People love him, people hate him. Uh, and he's deliberately divisive, which is one of the reasons why he's quite unpopular with the with the electorate, uh, and why I think the Republicans are very nervous about uh, the idea of renominating him. Donald Trump is Mr. Divisive. Um, DeSantis is a bully, but I'm not sure he, he. I would say he's divisive. Not enough people know much about him, uh, but his policies certainly are. Biden is a progressive Democrat. There's no question about it. Uh, he was really uh, promoted by uh, African American voters when his campaign was really lost, and he's taken up their their causes very uh, conspicuously, which some people would regard as divisive. But I do not think of Biden as a deliberately divisive president. He is, among uh, more than anything else, a professional politician. Americans don't really like or trust but professional politicians, mm-hmm. but that is what Joe Biden is. Right. That is, and he ha- and he has been that for for well over fifty years, and that's why uh, that's right. you know his yeah. his ability to give a speech, which again is good for his base, uh, but comes across in a less um, uh, obnoxious way than a lot of partisan Democrats do, which in my view is what he did in the State of the Union address. Now again, I don't agree with much of what he said in the State of the Union address. But again, to say this guy is, you know, doddering at, at you know, at 80 years old, I think the, I think it's a huge mistake to focus on his age. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. 
probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening. And they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. Uh, this morning, uh, Fox News revealed a, a new poll that they have, uh, primarily focusing on Republican primary voters. And uh, I want to put that uh, a poll up on the air uh, online and uh, also uh, let everyone sort of react to it. And again, this is a Fox News poll of Republican voters. So the best place to go is to Fox if you're looking for Republican voters. And uh, this is what it showed. It showed Donald Trump in first place at 43%, followed by Ron DeSantis with 28%. No one else was in double digits. But then came Nikki Haley at 7%, along with former Vice President Mike Pence. Texas Governor Greg Abbott came in at 2% along with Liz Cheney, the former Wyoming uh, uh, United States congressperson, followed by Christy Nome, a governor, Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, Tim Scott at 1%, along with Glenn Youngkin, uh, governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. And by the way, Nome, Pompeo, Tim Scott, and Youngkin were all at 1%. And uh, again, I guess, uh, question, I'll start with you again, Bill. Um, 43% at this point in a crowded field. Um, that's a pretty strong start, is it not? It's pretty strong, and he could win the nomination as long as the rest of the field is divided. Right. Mm -hmm. what, we, what he has to prove is that he can win on a one, in a one-on-one -on -one race against someone like Ron DeSantis, who's fresh, who's new, who's young, who's smart, who has degrees from Yale and Harvard. He's very much un-Trump-like. His style is that of Trump. He is very divisive. He has a war on wokeness instead of a war on uh, uh, whatever Trump is making war on this week. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, he, in a one-on-one -on -one race, Trump would have difficulty winning. Mm -hmm. But in a multi-candidate multi field where the rest of the field is divided, like in 2016, he could win the nomination. Now, if we get to the general election, uh, 
the age of the two participants, if it's Donald Trump and uh, uh, Joe Biden, they're both men of age. And by the way, I can say that I'm 78. So, you know, that's I'm not exactly a spring chicken myself. But my question mm-hmm. is, would, would want, do you feel that age and um, the fact that uh, uh, Governor DeSantis is in his mid-40s, does that give, give him a huge leg up in a Republican primary? I think, frankly, it would in a general election, but how much does it help him in a primary with other Republicans, uh, only one of which is, is, frankly, really old? It helps him against Trump because people think Trump is, number one, uh, too old. Not that he's showing his age, but that uh, anything can happen to someone of an advanced age like that, mm-hmm. Trump or Biden. Uh, that's what, I mean, most people are familiar with those problems. Uh, and uh, he also has a, um, a record that appeals to a lot of conservative Republicans. His war on wokeness, I don't think it's a huge vote-getter in the country as a whole, but it really rallies Republicans. And it's working in Florida. He had a big, a huge re-election campaign and a victory in Florida. Uh, and it's something that turns on a lot of Republicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, uh, any person running for president who's 44 years old against people that are in either over 80 or, or close to 80, what does it do to a person of your generation? And I don't know exactly how old you are, but you're closer to 44 than you are to 80, I'm sure. Um, does does Ron DeSantis, being 44 years old, does that give him a leg up with uh, casual voters, independent voters, who may not be concerned with his uh, uh, dogged pursuit of cultural issues? I think it would help him because of the contrast, just like Obama benefited when he was running against McCain Mm -hmm. and Bill Clinton benefited when he was running against Bob Dole. Uh, The the appearance of youth, vigor, energy uh, would certainly serve to his advantage. Uh, If I could go back just one moment, uh, Stephanie hit questioned why Biden said There are people who believe in lynching in this country. Uh, I didn't hear Biden make that statement, but we all saw on January 6th when a a riot, a mob of people were chanting, hang Mike Pence. And when Kevin McCarthy challenged Donald Trump about it, Trump said, maybe they're angrier about the election than you. So that's lynching. Uh, And we all saw that. So it's odd that you would pick that comment out to condemn Joe Biden when it's just a statement of fact. Well, I, I mean, uh, Biden said it in the context of, uh, you know, racializing something. Um, and, you know, and that's what that's what Biden's going to do. Biden's going to campaign on they're out to get you. They hate you. They're racist. And he's going to do that over and over and over. And uh, that was what was intended by his speech last week. Um, so. You know, uh, I don't think that's presidential to be talking that way about half of the, you know, uh, you know, implying this about a good portion of the uh, country. Certainly those who support what might be a potential candidate. I just it's unpresidential. Biden has always been careful to say that that's not the typical Republican point of view, but we are living in a period. <laughs> As an aside, but li- maybe, but wait, not- wait a second. We, we are living in a period where hate crimes increase on an annual basis for the past 10 years. 
So unless you're talking about an actual rope, we are seeing a new age of targeted violence against minorities, blacks, Asians, LGBTQ, Latinos, Jews. Jews. Uh, so I certainly think it's presidential to call attention to that problem and try to rally people against it. I think that's right. Bill? I think Donald Trump broke down a lot of barriers when it came to divisiveness. Uh, he brought the, the radical right to power. The radical right has been a factor in American politics for almost two, for over 200 years. They were around in the days of Andrew Jackson. They were around in uh, the days of, uh, certainly with the, as recently as Eugene McCarthy. They've been around, but only Donald Trump took them to the mountaintop. He became president of the United States, and he was the favorite candidate of the radical right. They've been to the mountaintop, and they want to go back. But, but they think he Bill, was or the election was stolen, and that's that's where his base lies. Bill, in 2000, let, let, let's go back to his initial uh, victory in 2016. Do you think that that radical right element was the was it the deciding factor? Was it the most mo gave him the most votes? Or would you not consider that Donald Trump did speak to those who felt that they were not listened to, who are not necessarily racial in their thinking, but were just fed up and they thought that Hillary Clinton was, you know, the beginning of or a continuation of bad politics and that it wasn't over race that he won, although I hear your point that there are those within the radical right or or racial right that probably did see in him someone that uh, at least wasn't going to speak out and den and denounce them but I mean, that was that was that wasn't right. the majority i want to hear bill's response to that and then yours go ahead bill well i'm not sure i understood the question but um well what percentage of in right 2000 in 2016 what percentage of his victory margin do you think were avowed racists who are looking to put him back, uh, you know, uh, in the White House? Well, I can't say I can't answer that. I have I don't have a figure for avowed racists. Very few Americans are avowed racists, or even white, or certainly not white supremacists. But we know that that element was there, and they were crucial in getting him the nomination, getting him the election. That was a general election. He did not win a, a majority. He did not win a plurality. He got elected because of the Electoral College, mm -hmm. and then he, he led the Republicans to uh, some defeat in 2018 and in 2020 and in 2022, and a lot of Republicans are saying, enough with this guy. He's leading us down the road to obliterate, being obliterated. Um, he, he did win in 2016. That was in large part because Hillary Clinton, like uh, Barack Obama, committed the cardinal sin of liberals, and that is condescension. Condescension is what uh, the conservatives and ordinary Americans dislike the most in liberals. What is condescension? It's Barack Obama saying people who cling to guns and religion will never vote to him, for him. That offended a lot of people. It's Hillary Clinton calling Trump supporters a basket of deplorables. That's condescension. The one thing I know about Joe Biden, I've known him for 40 years, he does not have a condescending bone in his body. Hillary Clinton did and still probably still does and Barack Obama let it out they both did it at private fundraisers mm -hmm. but that's always a big problem for Democrats and liberals yep no that that's a that's a that is a good point do you agree with that uh, David 
Do you agree that when you're talking yeah. with your your liberal buddies, I mean, they will frequently be looking down uh, their uh, their noses or their uh, cocktails, uh, saying things about the help that uh, are not positive. And when I say well, help, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, you name them. They're beneath them. People that they feel are beneath them. They're be first of all, they're beneath them intellectually, because liberals always think that they're the smartest ones in town and smartest ones in a room. So you can be the smartest person in the room. You just don't necessarily want to um, what we're, hit it. I, I agree with Bill, his point about those statements from Hillary Clinton and that Joe Biden and Bill Clinton were much superior and is a much superior politician for not making those kinds of statements. However, there's a bit of a fear because Trump, DeSantis, many others routinely denigrate liberals, routinely uh, college education, even though they have Ivy League degrees, and that's just taken for granted. So it goes both ways. We do have to pause. one 800 723 if you want to weigh in on the presidential politics and the primaries. Coming up, and uh, we've got callers on the line. We will hear from them when we continue from Chicago. I'm Bruce Dumont. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. We all have the ability to touch the lives of those around us. To someone going through a difficult time, a text, a call, or a visit can mean so much. Reach out to the veterans in your life today. Let them know they're not alone. One simple act can make all the difference. That's the power of one. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, visit VeteransCrisisLine.net for free 24-7 confidential support. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but 
I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Bruce Dumont back. Nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway this week. And we have Stephanie Hitt. She is in studio. She's a conservative Republican. David Masiotra is joining us from his palatial home in Indiana and uh, joining us from his uh, palatial office and home in Washington, D.C. is Bill Schneider, a longtime uh, political analyst, uh, many years with CNN, but now also writes uh, for The Hill on a periodic basis. And uh, we have alerted uh, those out in radio and TV land. They have questions for us. Let's head west to Carmel, California, where Mark is listening to us. Mark, uh, nice to have you with us. Go ahead. Uh, good evening, Bruce, and welcome back after your long hiatus. Thank you. And I must say um, that your subs, uh, Jeannie and Eric, did a uh, yeoman's job in yeah. your absence. Yes, they did. They Excellent. But I'm still and back. You. And, and listen, <laughs> I think I'm going to defer on this uh, comment because I had some earlier comments regarding the Ukraine. Although I must say, I posited this thought to many of my liberal friends. Uh-huh. If uh, consider where we were in 2019 prior to COVID with the world situation where little Kim wasn't shooting off uh, missiles, where Russia was not doing aggressive policies, China seemed to be in control, and the world seemed to be relatively con- stable on the world stage. And where we are now, and the $5 trillion that were spent in stimulus money and the impending demise with Social Security and Medicare. And ask yourself, how do you think the world's going to vote here, the, the America's going to vote here two years from now if we continue on this economic decline? Okay, I'm going to let Bill Schneider tackle that. I mean, if the economy is uh, what it is today in two years, Bill, uh, is it going to be the economy stupid, or will these foreign policy issues continue to, uh, uh, you know, be a deciding factor as they have been in many presidential races? First of all, the economy stupid is always the central issue in every election. If you have a boom, then the voters will forgive a lot of things. The late 90s were the boom years. It was the dot-com boom. People were making money hand over fist. We had a budget surplus, a federal budget surplus for four years, 1997 to 2001. And they were the parties were fighting over what to do with the money. Gorse had put it in a lockbox, and Bush said, give it back to the people in tax cuts, which is what he did. But the economy is always central. Uh, look at George H.W. Bush, the first President Bush. The year before the election, he was sitting astride the world like a colossus, having won an enormous victory in Kuwait. And then when the recession hit 
in, uh, in uh, 1992, he was toast. It's always the economy. In this case, I think the economy really is hurting Joe Biden. He definitely needs something that looks like a boom. Americans don't feel it. There's been some evidence of improvement in the economy, but not very apparent to most Americans. And unless that becomes more apparent, I think his, his election will be in trouble, and he could very well lose. We have discussed on this program uh, numerous Sunday nights in the last year uh, about uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, and whether or not uh, she is up to the job as vice president, and would she be up to the job as president of the United States? And my question to you, because you've seen a lot of the maneuvering uh, with existing vice presidents in the past, Bill, um, do the Democrats have an irreparable uh, challenge here that there really is no way that you can dump the African-American female vice president of the United States if he wants to get reelected? Wait a minute. You mean to take her off the ticket as vice president? Right. No, he, can't do he cannot do that without offending a lot of women and right. a lot of blacks. Right. That would be very, very difficult for you. Is to there do. any position that she could be appointed to that would give her, uh, that would save face, or would everything be viewed as a step down? She could be. She she could be appointed if there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court, and I think she'd be very wise to take it. Another possibility I've heard discussed, but I think it's unlikely. Uh, if Dianne Feinstein were to become ill or resign before the election of 2024, uh, the Democratic governor of California would appoint someone to the Senate. He said he would appoint a black woman. It could be Kamala Harris. It's more likely to be someone else. There are other black women in California who could claim the position, Barbara Lee, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be Kamala Harris. But I do think you're right. She is in a very weak position for a vice president to take over. Is... Uh is she as bad as the media has, and Republicans have made her out to be? Uh, again, as someone who observes her uh, in a professional manner, I mean, is she is she salvageable? Uh, is, is she uh, more decent than uh, opponents uh, will give her credit for? I think she's very decent, and I think she's a skilled professional politician, not as not as longstanding as Biden. But the problem is she hasn't made her mark on any policy or even any ideology. Mm -hmm. She's not very outspoken. She hasn't said anything particularly memorable. Her, her ratings are about the same as Biden's and a little bit worse because she doesn't have the record of achievement. So I don't think there's anything in particular that would qualify her to be a competitive presidential candidate. Mm -hmm. Let's go to calls. Paul, listening to us in Racine, Wisconsin. Go ahead, Paul. Welcome back, Bruce. It's good to hear you. Thank you. Um, I wanted to I wanted to push back a little bit on uh, some of your um, people with you tonight who are, are talking about you know Don, President Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. You know the first thing you mentioned you, you asked about about Biden and the one gentleman right away didn't even defend Biden he just went right to Donald Trump. Well, let's look at more you know and I think this warrants this conversation when Donald Trump was president. The African-American community had 5.2%, the lowest unemployment rate, right? The labor force participation was 63.2%. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of African-Americans got out of poverty to the tune of about a million people. Um, and you can just go on and on and on. And when you compare it to 
Barack Obama, um, Donald Trump did more for the African-American community. So to say he was divisive, maybe in his speech and his rhetoric, but I think the American people care more about action, particularly the African-American community who has been exploited. And you've got Joe Biden in there talking about how he's going to fix things. He's been in government for 50 years and hasn't been able to do anything but make situation worse. So I get a little frustrated and I get a little upset when I hear people constantly bashing Donald Trump. I think what scared the establishment was that Trump was the outsider and he cut regulations. He did the First Step Act, right? Mm -hmm. That immensely helped the African-American community. So it's easy to sit up there and say in the soundbite, well, he was divisive. Why? Because he sent out mean tweets. He, you know, he he called uh, the news fake news. No, he actually did things. And it scared people on both sides. And he did it without the cooperation of people on both sides of the political Stay on the line. Paul, Uh, stay on the line. I want to get uh, Bill Schneider an opportunity to respond because you were talking about things Bill said. But we'll come back to you. But Bill, first to you. Uh, The answer is look at the polls of how African-American voters feel about Donald Trump. He gets almost no support from them. They didn't vote for him. They don't like him. He gets very negative ratings. There must be a reason for that. If he did all these wonderful things for them, why don't they respond? They don't respond because they think he's a racist. Paul, do you? Well, yeah, so I'll just say this. I think, first of all, he's, Donald Trump fought an uphill battle with the media. You're never going to hear the statistics I just shared. Um, and that's never going to be trumpeted by anyone, right? And so, of course, Paul, you've got... Paul, the, let me... Paul, Paul... Paul, let me interrupt for a second because we're, we're about to go to a break, but I, I, I do want to ask you a question, give you an opportunity to respond. There are those that, for whatever reason, maybe it, it was his bombast, there were many people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 that did not vote for him in 2020. Many people, Republicans and independents and even some Democrats, thought that he was too boorish, uh, and he was way over the top with his rhetoric, just the way beyond tweets. But they didn't they didn't like his personality. So they turned against him in 2020 and voted against him. And we I don't want to debate whether he actually won or lost the election. In my view, he lost the election. But my question to you is, is there enough is there enough willingness out there for people that voted against Donald Trump on personal grounds? that his personality has changed so much that they would be willing to give Donald Trump a second chance after voting for him, rejecting him? I mean, how many people are going to give him another shot? Go ahead. Well, I I don't think he would win a second term, Bruce, but that was not my point. I think to a, a, a larger degree, regardless of who the Republicans put up there, uh-huh. the Democrats are going to do the exact same thing that the gentleman you have on your panel did. They're going to demonize Republicans. The messaging is never going to get out there about what Republicans do, not only for the African-American community, but for people as a whole. And when you look at pre-pandemic, there was no question that this country was tacking in the right direction on so many fronts. And a lot of that was due to Donald Trump and somewhat based on his bombastic attitude. He pushed back on the establishment. You need a, a person who's going to be able to do that 
unfortunately, um, in this day and age, you can't do that. And that's why I don't think Donald Trump would win a, a, another election. I really don't. Is Who because, is your candidate? Who is your candidate? I need a quick answer. Ten seconds. Well, I, I, I would say right now I'm 50-50 between DeSantis and Donald Trump. Okay, very good. We've got to pause. 1-800-723-8029. Back shortly for one more segment tonight on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Let's be honest, the National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
Bruce Dumont back. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie, hit my question to you. You're our card-carrying Republican. I am. Uh, who's your choice for the nomination next You know, year? I'm with the 24% right now that likes Ron DeSantis. Um, you know, I think, you know, we were talking about these numbers. Trump is coming in at 43. I was actually surprised by that. I thought that seemed a little bit high. I know there's going to be a core of Trump supporters. Um, I was surprised that it was as high as 43. But then um, our last caller um, did mention that he was 50-50 between Trump and DeSantis. I wonder how many of those people will actually lean towards DeSantis when it when it becomes real. Um but I don't know that Donald Trump will ever think, get more than 43%. But do you, do you think, the question to you, which is mm-hmm. I asked of him, do you think there's a significant number of people out there who voted for Donald Trump the first time, rejected him the second time, and yet, after everything that's been out there about January 6th and everything else, they're willing to give him a second chance because they may believe, they may believe that something was dicey about the 2020 election. They may not my be official deniers. Feeling, my gut feeling is no. I You don't think? I don't think so. I don't think that there's enough that Donald Trump <clears throat> can do to reset the record or re, re-image himself as being less bombastic. I don't think that he's ever going to be able to shake off January 6th. Um, and I think that People see in someone like a DeSantis or maybe even a Yunkin or something, someone who has conservative principles, who has worked effectively as a governor. We talk about age. I actually think what people are going to look at are is experience and what they've actually done. I think it's going to be, I think in both parties, it's, it's going to be an issue of governors, not senators, being looked at because they have records and people want records. Do Republican women care about gender in other words how important is it that nikki haley is a female and does anybody in the republican primary really care i don't think people care at all they are looking for what about tim scott do their job i don't think they care about color i don't think they care about gender they are looking at records um i think they're looking at people who have really good solid principles, philosophies, and know what their instincts will lead them. That's why I think someone like Nikki Haley or even a Christy Noem, they've shown some interesting instincts that don't, don't necessarily show they know how to govern in a, in a crisis. David, uh, you were waving your hand. You wanted to weigh in in on something. So go ahead. Oh, that was in response to the previous caller, uh, just about his unemployment figures. Uh, unemployment declined every year under the Obama administration, and now it's declining again. So unless one can prove causation that Donald Trump's policies somehow caused the unemployment rate when Obama's policies were quite different, that's not much of an argument for anything. Yeah. Bill Schneider, to you. Where does Nikki Haley carve a constituency within the Republican primary field, in your view? (laughs) Among people who are fearful of Trump and don't want DeSantis because they see them both really as bullies. Mm -hmm. They share some of the same views. Look, in every election, Americans vote for something they they want that they're not getting from the incumbent. Um, And right now, I think the, the word would be strength. They see Biden as somehow a weak president. I don't think he is weak, but he comes across as a weak president compared with Trump or DeSantis. 
Trump is, if anything, too strong a president. DeSantis has strength, and that's what appeals to Republicans. That's what they want. I think he's, he's, he goes overboard and does act very often like a bully. But the fact is, Americans like strength. They want a strong president. Trump had that quality, and DeSantis has that quality, and that's why I think he's a strong contender for the next election. Uh, we're in our final minutes here, and Bill, uh, although... Jimmy Carter still clings to to life in uh, uh, Plains, Georgia. My question to you is because you were around when Jimmy Carter was president of the United States. Uh, what do you think the legacy of Jimmy Carter will be? Well, uh, certainly on foreign policy would be uh, his, his record in the Middle East. He won a Nobel Peace Prize. Everybody won a Nobel Peace Prize except poor Al Gore won one. I mean, they all won one except Bill Clinton, who probably was the one who most deserved it. Um, but his... He got elected on because of Watergate. No question about that. Mm -hmm. He said, I will never lie to you after a president had lied to the American people. He's always been seen as a person of great integrity, religious values, but he wasn't much of a leader. Um, but he, di he did c carry a legacy that defined morality as a quality that people look for in leadership. And I think that'll remain, the, that'll remain with him forever. And uh, the the taking of American hostages that was the that was the death knell for his political career. Yeah, I think that was well. I think he was on the downslide, but uh, yeah, I think he got a real boost out of that. Uh, it enabled him to beat uh, Ted Kennedy in the, in the Democratic primaries. Mm -hmm. His his numbers turned around when the hostages were seized. Mm -hmm. Stephanie Hitt, uh, your reaction to well, you know, Jimmy Carter? I actually. Um, I actually remember helping my parents, you know, volunteer on a Jimmy Carter campaign, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. um, and um, but one of the things that I th I think his legacy um, for many people now, especially, you know, the younger generation is what he what he did after his presidency. Mm -hmm. And that goes somewhat, Bill, to what you were saying that he he made, you know, helping out, you know, Habitat for Humanity. The, the quiet, humble life that he led post-presidency, I think that will be a huge part of his legacy, too. David Mastiotra, right. your response. Yeah, I would encourage all Americans to go and read his Crisis of Confidence address, because even though it was very poorly received when he gave it, oh my God. <laughs> uh, he, he predicted it was prescient. Everything he talks about in terms of our cultural problems, the breakdown of community, uh, extreme partisanship uh, has come true, unfortunately, in many ways, even beyond what he imagined. So that, along with placing human rights at the center of American foreign policy, and uh, as Stephanie was just saying, the integrity and compassion he showed all of these years outside of the White House, uh, making David, on that his note, flaws. David, on that figure. note, we've got to say farewell to you. That was David Masiotra. Stephanie Hitt's been our guest in studio. Bill Schneider, uh, who writes for The Hill and veteran political analyst, joined us from Washington, D.C. this evening. Our thanks to Fritz Coleman for assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. This has been Beyond the Beltway. See you next Sunday night.
Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen. By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. 